0: Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 397. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. This week on the show, we'll be contemplating our entire existence with a review of Rodney Asher's latest, A Glitch in the Matrix, which is out on VOD right now. We'll also be going over someone watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be... Super helpful. Uh, just one bit of housekeeping to note. Brian Watches a Movie is coming back. It is going to be Ooh. dropping on Thursday, so be sure to check it out. It'll be coming out on this feed, so you'll be able to get it on the same feed as you get this. Yes. Very exciting. We, we already recorded it. I mentioned last week that it was coming back, but I, didn't, I was hesitant to give a date because, you know, Ryan's a little wishy-washy yeah. when it comes to the recording times, but it, it worked. We didn't have any technical issues, really, and uh, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think it turned out good. Stay tuned for that on Thursday, uh, and that's all I got. We're in the planning stages for this month, Saved by the 90s, so I'll have more details about that as soon as we formulate them. With that, I believe we can jump into our review. We're talking about a glitch in the Matrix. As I mentioned, this is directed by Rodney Asher. I have a synopsis here. Are we, in fact, living in a simulation? This is the question postulated, wrestled with, and ultimately argued for for, through archival footage, compelling interviews with real people shrouded in digital avatars, and a collection of cases from some of our most iconoclastic figures in contemporary culture. Now, Rodney Asher, if you're not familiar, he is... I think he he kind of broke onto the scene uh, with uh, Room 237, which came out in 2012, which was his documentary about The Shining and all of the various conspiracy theories that were surrounding The Shining. Some of them were actually very compelling and like kind of crazy, and some of them were just really, really out there, but it was a kind of a fascinating movie nonetheless. And then he followed that up with the nightmare in 2015, which was all about sleep paralysis, which was also kind of fascinating. And then he did some stuff with, uh, you know what? He, it looks like he did that, uh, El Dolce tapes that's coming out. What? Yeah. It looks like he, he, he was involved with it somehow. He's listed as a co-director. So, I bet he was one of the ones who compiled all the footage. (laughs) Interesting. I I might have to check that out now. But anyway, he's back with a new one, uh, A Glitch in the Matrix. This just premiered at Sundance, and uh, it's out now on VOD. We'll start with you, Kevin. What were your initial impressions of A Glitch in the Matrix?
1: Uh, I went into this not expecting much, because I wasn't that big of a fan of Room 237 thought it was just kind of amateurish and just there's this sense of like there's a lot of documentaries that feel like you know the deepest they go is kind of like this cursory wikipedia article like that's as that's as far as they dig with rodney asher's films now between this and room 237 it seems like he bypasses wikipedia and instead
0: is making documentaries based off of reddit it's and it, it's interesting, like i I agree with you, I have the same issue with nearly all of Rodney Asher's movies, and I think that maybe it's because there's just not enough like content, and he he likes to look at the the human element of these things rather than like the scientific element. so in the Nightmare, for example, a lot of that movie was. People who have experienced sleep paralysis telling their story about the various things that they experience while in sleep paralysis, which was not to me, at least, was not nearly as interesting as learning about sleep paralysis, like in general, like the, the condition. Yeah. And I think the same could be said about A Glitch in the Matrix, where you have a movie that's all about this simulation theory I think they call it simulation argument in this, Um, but which I think in and of itself is a fascinating topic to dive into, but you have very little. Now he does talk to like scientists and scholars and stuff about the, like what it is and sort of the theories behind it. Um, But that always takes a back seat to him just talking to, people who believe that they're living in a simulation yeah, just and regular dudes. Yeah. Just regular people. And like how they came to believe that they're living in a simulation, like the, the, the chain of events that occurred to cause this yeah. revelation and like just how they live their lives and their backstory and stuff like that and i think that i mean that that seems very distinct like his style seems very distinct he likes to look at the human element he likes to dive into the people behind these theories and stuff but i don't i just don't think that makes for as compelling a a story as as maybe no. he believes and I think that it is from what From what you're saying about the nightmare, I think that that works better because you're dealing with people's actual experiences with something. What he did with the nightmare was he reenacted those things. So in that one, as they were telling the story about what they were experiencing, he would actually show a reenactment of that. So in a way, it turned it into, it was a documentary, but it turned it into like sort of a horror movie also. Yeah. Yeah which yeah it, which sounds it was entertaining for sure
1: yeah. yeah this i mean there's i like you said there's the, the human element and I, on paper interesting approach to me is in theory which is very convoluted and kind of like saying okay well how does that affect just real life everyday people which he seems to be doing here. But the problem with that is who he chooses to talk to in that they go on these very long monologues, like you said, where they kind of give you like a backstory of how they came to believe that they're in a simulation theory. And yeah, it's like if it's 10 minutes or so or whatever, they're them telling their story. A, it's like the most banal story that you've ever heard in your life. And B, There's just, like, no substance to it at all. And see, like, you're just like, okay. Like, the one guy goes on and on and on. He was, like, nine years old in church, and he's like, none of this is real. And it's like,
0: okay, good for you. Like, why are we talking to you? I think what he tries to do is draw, look for through lines with each of these people. So... Like the religious angle. Like he'll, he'll look for commonalities between all of these individuals and try to figure out why someone why these people would have this, this sort of thought process and what the contributing factors are to believing that we're living in a simulation. And the thing, the thing to note here and And I saw like some people on letterbox and and mentioning about how these are like reddit reddit style conspiracy theories and stuff like that. I don't consider simulation theory to be a conspiracy theory. I don't think that there is any kind of conspiring that's happening here. I find it to be yeah. Yeah. I find it to just be it kind of it's not. I mean, I can see why one could lump it into like the, like flat earthers or something like that. But I think that it's way more complex and fascinating than something yeah. like that. Because even when you do interview like physicists and scientists and, and all of these, uh, very knowledgeable people, most of them will be like, yeah, uh, could it, it, we could be like they they all look at it most of them i would say look at it as like a viable possibility which is crazy well, and i
1: think well i think that's always the, the interesting thing in terms of just reality and our existence it's like you have no idea so it could it could literally be anything you know what i mean you can just throw stuff out there and you know you might you might be surprised how many people you get to share that point of view or be like, oh yeah, that's de I mean, look at Scientology for Christ's sake. I mean, look at some of the shit that's out there that there's a large number of people that are like, yep, this is it. This is what it's all about. And like I like him I like the idea again of him trying to find this through line and attribute to again everyday people. I just like the actual outcome is he just talks to very uninteresting people and like the, the other guys, you know, he's talking about how he keeps track of synchronicities mm-hmm. in his life on this like Excel spreadsheet or he's using Google sheets, whatever the fuck it is. And he's just so vague about it where he's like, Oh yeah. You know, I've noticed like every, every three days something happens career wise, but he never says what, you know, but it, like what? What's happening? What do you know? What is he finding? What are these synchronicities? He never, you know, goes any further than just like, yeah, I, I noticed patterns. Yeah, and it's like okay, like
0: we all notice patterns, but like, what are they? He also, I think he's didn't he say he lives? He lives by a twelve day week too. Yeah, which like, I like. I was thinking about that, and I'm like. Would that really? I mean, how can you live by a twelve-day week when literally everyone on Earth, else on Earth lives by a seven-day week? Like, what is uh, like, what does that do for you? Like, does does it cause conflicts in your life when you when you're living by a twelve-day week and everybody else is on the seven? Yeah, and it's just like, and the, the, like the another guy that
1: they talk to towards the end is, it seems like he's like he's vaguely interested in it and he like half-heartedly believes that yeah we could be living in a simulation but uh maybe like he just he's just like vaping and he's like yeah i mean i don't know like why are
0: we wasting time with like why am i with this guy (laughs) yeah he's not even into it that much really it's so funny i think that that again i will say that that this is like the exact same kind of issue I had with all of Rodney Asher's movies. I like the guy. I, li- I think that the guy comes up with really f- interesting topics for documentaries, but it's like one of those things where it's like, there's. I just don't know if there's enough here. There's just not Ooh. quite enough here. And I think a large part of it is, this is how he sucks you in it, because they are
1: extremely interesting topics that he chooses to make films out of. But When I'm watching them, the only thing that I can gather from like on his side from him himself is that like he doesn't really have a curiosity of these subjects. It seems like it seems like he's just dicking
0: around and he's like, oh, I'll do this, I guess. I mean, I I think he does, but you're right. He doesn't really come across in the actual movie. I wanna I wanna talk about well, okay. Well, while we're still talking about the subjects of the movie, I think the big one is the the guy who ended up. He believed he was he believed the Matrix, the movie, the Matrix was real, basically, and he ended up murdering his parents. And mm-hmm. I I think that that's probably the most interesting of the subjects by far, but. I also don't necessarily believe that this guy was uh, believing in like simulation theory as much as he just believed that the movie, the matrix was real. So, I mean, I yeah. guess, I guess they kind of go hand in hand, but it wasn't like, it was more about the movie specifically yeah. than and it was, it the seemed, concept. And
1: not, even, and not even the movie necessarily. It seemed like a big part of it was just the duster.
0: Yeah, he was from the movie. Yeah, he was really obsessed with the the black duster from that they the, that they would wear in the Matrix movies. And somehow he used that as a as a an excuse to murder his parents and you know, he was talking about how he had like so much remorse and stuff and it's like, dude, you are not coming like as he was telling the story, I'm like, this guy is not remorseful. He does not sound any, like, when he's describing how he shot his mom in the face with a shotgun, like, he didn't... I mean, his voice didn't crack. He did not sound upset about... I, like, I, I, I understand that this was, like, more than a decade ago, but I think that if you had that much regret, you would still have a hard time telling the story.
1: Yeah, I know. That's
0: that was just an odd
1: inclusion for me.
0: I did. There were, there were certain elements of him telling that story that I thought were funny. Now, those parts that I laughed at were before I knew what he did just to be clear. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the, uh, the one was like, when he was talking about hot topic and he's like, I went to this store called hot topic. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I, yeah. And there was this part of me, like when
1: he was introduced and they're talking and you can like kind of hear the background noise because you can tell he's on a phone and you can, you can hear the background noise, which I'm familiar with that background noise where I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's in a prison and like he had to do something. Like it was something not good. It was something awful, like you could just, be, like you could like feel it in his voice.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I, I thought he was going to be a school shooter at first because he's talking about his obsession with the trench coat and then he mentions guns, looking up guns online and and getting bullied and I just thought, oh boy, this guy. Because everybody else in the movie, and maybe we can segue into talking about this, but everybody else in the movie uh, are not, they're animated. They're like Uh, avatars Mm -hmm. so but he wasn't he was clearly it was a phone interview and yeah I knew something was up with this guy and yeah it turned out to be a really horrific uh, story but I really liked how they shot that like how they reenacted that with the. it was animated but like it was this really I thought cool looking like sort of I don't know how to describe it grungy looking CG yeah where was very everything was very jagged and like it was like anti-aliasing was turned off or something where every every like all the edges were very jagged and i I i thought it was an interesting way to present that story like having the camera kind of float through the house as he was describing what was going on and they didn't you know uh romanticize it or anything like that like they didn't show the murders taking place or anything like that they just showed the empty rooms and showed the er- areas like where his family was sitting and stuff like that and I thought that it was I thought it was a respectful way to do it and I thought that it was also kind of visually arresting. yeah I think, I think it's
1: like if you have to do it it was a pretty well done way of doing it but at the same time I'm, I was thinking we don't have to to do this like this seems like an well like i i understand that tangent of because the you know the one let's keep this in mind too the one woman that they talk to she kind of points out that this is like a school shooter fantasy mm-hmm. Is where you know like you you are privy to this information that no one like everyone else is just sheep and you've somehow woken up and bust it out of the pod like Neo. And then you know, it's kind of tying this in. But I don't know. It's like it just didn't work for me. Just to spend that much time with him recounting essentially like minute by minute the day of him killing his parents. It was just like, why are why are we focusing so much time on this when you have like actual like theoretical minds And you're you're interviewing them like they're part of the documentary, but like they really feel like they're only there for like four or five minutes total. Like if you accumulate everything, yeah. And
0: see, that's the big problem is that there's so little discussion of the actual theory, like what basis there is, and so much of it is just anecdotal discussions from these avatars, and I think that. I just wanted more of the kind of science aspect of it in there. Like yeah. having, having subjects who believe in this is fine, but when it's the overwhelming majority of your movie, I think that that's where it becomes problematic. And I also, I do understand why he would want to include this guy's story just because of the matrix angle. And because it shows the you know, potential downside of believing in something like this, where this guy believed so much that he was, that the matrix was real, that he killed his parents to prove it, I guess, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And, but I mean, that's what he claims at least, but what did you think? What did you think of the decision to do the kind of avatars rather than just interviewing the people face face (laughs) to face? I mean, it's a gimmick. Let's
1: just call it what it is. Like At first, I was like, oh, this is like an interesting thing. And then I was like, oh, this is just, I guess, window dressing for the sense that it's a talking head documentary and you don't really have anything else.
0: But I, but I think it also,
1: it, like, it kind of, I guess it worked. I
0: don't know. I think it, I, I liked it. I think that it plays into the just the whole subject matter of the movie where yeah. we're essentially all living in a video game and everything's a video game within a video game. And so I think that it worked in, in that regard, but I also think that it was window dressing, which I'm totally fine with because otherwise, and I think that we're going to see this a, a lot with documentaries in 2021, just zoom interviews, like everything's going to be, yeah, you know, interviews with people over zoom and it's going to get boring real fast. So I think that the decision to animate the interviews was kind of, kind of refreshing. And I did, I did like how anytime like somebody, the quality would drop there would be like they, he would like do like the glitchy stuff in yeah. the, it, with the animation. And he kept it light for the most part. Like, cause the thing is, like, a lot of these stories, like, there's the one really serious story, and he obviously doesn't animate that guy. But the other the other stories in this are, are fairly light, you know? They're not, like, super dark and serious. And, you know, the, he keeps things pretty, pretty whimsical as far as, like, the characters go. So, I, I liked that aspect of it. Um, the rest of the animation, I thought, was... You know, it had a distinct style. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily loved it or anything, but it was okay. It was very stripped down; like everything was kept very basic. So there was a lot of, a lot of CG that was just kind of um, meant to look like the, like blueprints or like you know, like sort of foundational things. Yeah, lots Kinda of hazard. like generic looking. Uh, CG character models and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think just overall, it felt like a like a large waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, like so much of these stories are just like, okay, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how that ties into simulation. And, theory, and that's the I, thing.
0: Like, I watched <laughs> a mo- I watched a movie that was nearly two hours long, and I came away from it having No more knowledge about simulation theory. (laughs) Like I I gained nothing from
1: it. Exactly. And a lot of these guys that he's talking to, the ones that get animated with their avatars, like you're listening to them talk and they're going on a spiel, you know, five-ten minutes long about either how they came to the conclusion that they're living in a simulation or you know, something else that has happened, or you know, whatever. Like, take for example the guy that Decided to do a sleep deprivation tank in some dude's apartment. Like he goes on about, like he decides to do it. He's looking online and he's, he goes to the guy's apartment. And he asks questions. He sits down in the tank. You know, he's gone through all this. And I'm like, yeah, you, you, like you're saying a lot of words. You're walking me through, it's, you know, this, this experience that you had. But like at the basis of it, you're not saying anything. Like, this means absolutely nothing. It doesn't seem to tie into simulation theory at all. I, it's like, what? Well, that was just a waste of time. You yeah. just, all you doing was tell me that you d- did a sleep deprivation tank in some dude's apartment. Uh, okay? I want to do that, by the way. You would. I want to do, do it. I, I want to do it. But, I <laughs> I wanna do already tanks. Go, you got to go to that guy. I want you to do the guy that has one in his apartment.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try to find him. Please. I th- he's somewhere in Manhattan, so i will uh, just got to look up freaking sensory deprivation tank Manhattan apartment man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, like I
1: said, you know, the guy that looks like he's out of what the hell's that game. It's like the glass helmet, the vaping guy.
2: Mm-hmm yeah
1: like i like all this stuff was just pointless just absolutely pointless like there's no curiosity on the side of the director and there's like little to no curiosity and even the people that he's interviewing about simulation theory
0: yeah it's it's unfortunate because i think that again it is a really fascinating topic and it's one that i i think about every now and then you know like for whatever reason like I'll just get the thought in my head like I don't think this is real <laughs> like I don't think what what I'm going through here is real <laughs> like I, I'll think about it and, and I think a lot of people do like um, one other thing that they do mention is the Mandela effect and how the Mandela effect can tie into simulation theory and I think that the Mandela effect is another topic that you can discuss and fu- it, I think that it's Really interesting. I don't know if it necessarily feeds into simulation theory or uh, necessarily proves simulation theory, but I think that the concept of sort of collective memory or collective false memory is another one that I really enjoy digging into. And mm-hmm. I think the Mandela effect is is one of those things because there's some some of those that when I like when I learn about it. Uh, it, it's just like, it blows me away. Like I did a, after this movie, I did a test, a Mandela effect test. And I only got, mm-hmm. tw- I only got 20% of them. Right. Wow. Yeah. So like there were so many things that I was just, I thought were one way and are actually another way. Like fruit of the loom, the, the fruit of the loom logo. Yeah. Like I could have sworn that there was a cornucopia in that logo. There's not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember there being a cornucopia.
0: Well, I think it's, it's just, just fruit. It's just fruit, right? It, yes, it's just a pile of fruit. But I could have sworn there's a little cornucopia <laughs> just, back there. I, I love that too. What's your logo? It's a pile of fruit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you sell? Underwear, <laughs> undershirts.
0: Well, I guess it's a. Uh, yeah, you know what? I don't even know. I don't. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, anyway, I, I, like, I like digging into that type of stuff, and, and I just don't think they really do much. No, and like to me,
1: The Matrix isn't even... I mean, I know it's the biggest of all the media that takes a look at this, you know, but to me, if you really want something more complex and more thought-provoking, I would watch World on a Wire by Fassbender from 1973. Really, really interesting movie about simulation theory and virtual reality, computer simulations and stuff.
0: Yeah, or just you know, a lot of this movie is about uh, discusses Philip K. Dick and his his thoughts on simulation theory. And I'd say just read more Dick. Yeah, look, you know, do that too. Do that. Check out check out some of his his things like Man in High Castle and. And uh, Scanner Darkly, and, and some of his other works. Actually, everything, everything I, I pretty much love every, all Philip K. Dick stuff. So, what a what an advanced mind he had. But I think that that was like one of the most interesting things was learning about how Philip K. Dick believed in this stuff, and that a lot of his stories that he wrote were fragmented memories from when he had freaking sodium pentothal injected into him while getting a, a, a wisdom, his wisdom teeth removed and it caused all of these memories. Like, yeah. Like, that's interesting. Which is, because when did he say that that happened and he started to believe this? Well, the interview What's was that? in like 77 or something and yeah. so, I don't know, probably sometime in the 60s maybe? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because World on a Wire is based on a
1: science fiction novel from 64. So I feel like he might have just gotten this shit from other writers. (laughs) So I was like, I wonder if you kind of go back. Because the whole simulated reality thing was before, like that that was the thing that I kind of had an issue with. It seemed like they were kind of postulating that Philip K. Dick was like the first mind behind it. Like I have this huge announcement for the people of France.
0: It's like ah, it's been around before that. I think that maybe the big thing was like he he popularized it with his work and the fact that he was like a a big name by that point, and then like he had a whole press conference <laughs> announcing the fact that he believed that we were all in a simulation. Like I think that that's was maybe a bigger deal than if there were previous works that that discussed it. I don't know. Anyway, let's go ahead and give this a score. Uh, Kevin, what are you going to give a glitch in the matrix? Uh,
1: Man. Um, Like a one. (laughs) I think I like, Uh, I don't know. Like I didn't, it's tough. It just, it honestly just feels like a waste of time. Like you said, like I, I came away with absolutely nothing. Honestly, except for a couple guys telling some like really boring, banal stories, I I don't I just don't understand. Yeah, what it's for.
0: I mean, for me, for me, it's uh there are a couple things that I took away from this. One is that it got me to have conversations about simulation theory with, uh, you know, my friends and family and stuff. I, I had conversations after this movie, which I think is a good thing. And then the other thing is like. I think that some of the creative elements of this movie were were good and I and I liked them. So those are really the two positives I have about this. So because of that, I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Okay.
1: All right. We did, we do not like a glitch in the matrix. No,
0: no, unfortunately. It's it's another it's another Rodney Asher that just you know, just slightly misses the mark for me. Still like the guy. Still like what he's doing. I think that he's making like taking creative approaches, but yeah. All right, let's talk about someone watching. Uh, I saw *Prisoners of the Ghost Land*, directed by Sheehan Sono. This is part yes. of uh, Sundance here. Now, if you're not if you're not familiar with this, uh, this is going to be Sono's English language debut. This is this is his, his first one, and according to the Q and A after after the movie. He was just like, yeah, I really, I, I want to do more English language movies. He's like, I want to make more American films. So for my first one, I decided to to play it a little bit safe. And if you're not familiar with Sono's work, like him playing it mm-hmm. safe is still like ten times more bizarre than any other like English language film. So what you have here is this is like a, um, you know, it's like a, a sukiyaki. Western, So it's it's a modern Western movie. It takes place in Japan stars Nicholas Cage and Nicholas Cage is a bank robber who uh, gets he gets caught and this governor corrupt governor decides to hire him to retrieve his granddaughter who, who ran away the granddaughter played by Sofia Butella. And it, so it's kind of this like dystopian Mad Max style world. And what he does is he straps bombs all over Nicolas Cage. He, he puts them in the suit, straps bombs. So there's a bomb on each arm. Uh, there's a bomb on his neck and there's two bombs on each of his testicles. So he has nutsack uh, bombs attached to him. And he has, like, three days or something to go retrieve this guy's granddaughter, bring her back, or else the bombs explode. And then he also has, like, sensors and stuff. So, like, if he, if he physically ab- uh, abuses or attacks a woman, it'll go off. So, he can't, like, put his hands on her. And it also has sensors that, basically, like, if he gets horny, it'll go off so yeah. he can't you know take advantage of her either uh, and it's yeah it's uh, it's weird it's definitely weird I was kind of hoping for a little bit more action it's fairly light on action and uh, uh, Nicolas Cage is great in it I mean it's, it's pure Cage and I think that even Nicolas Cage in an interview said that it was like his craziest role yet but I don't necessarily agree with that Uh, he doesn't have that much dialogue and yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess my expectations were just a bit too high. Um, it is Sonos highest budget film and you can clearly see that on screen. There's giant sets in this movie. Um, very big, elaborate, beautiful sets and it, the world building is pretty solid in this too. lots of gorgeous cinematography in here. And, uh, I recommend it. Just know what you're getting into. I think that it helps if you're kind of familiar with Sono's work, it's, it's not necessarily an accessible film necessarily. Uh, I think, uh, Chris was watching this at the same time as me and he, he was comparing it to Holy mountain. And I don't, I don't uh, disagree with that. So it's, definitely out there maybe not as out there as like a Joe Dawarski film but it's, uh, it's something so I would recommend it Prisoners of, a, of the Ghostland I, I imagine this will drop at some point this year on VOD
1: I look forward to this
0: I think you'll like it I, d- I think as long as you understand going into it that it's not very action heavy there is action but it's Pretty sparse, and it really just happens at the end. It is satisfying, but I was just, oh, the other big thing, Tak is in this. Tak Sakaguchi is in this, and he does, he obviously does the action choreography too. So when there is action, it's very good.
1: Nice. I'm definitely, I'm very excited for this.
0: Just so excited. The only
1: other thing that I saw was Lucky Grandma directed by Stacy Sealy. This is overall it's an okay movie, but the thing that's nice about this is a it's set in New York City's Chinatown, which is always nice. You know, you have all Chinese cast and of course, you know, going based off of the title here, you have an elderly woman in the in the main role and it's just she goes to, like, a fortune teller, say that, you know, upcoming day, coming up, she says luck is going to be on her side. It's just going to be a lucky day for her. So she decides to take all of her money out of her bank account. She's a widow. She, she doesn't have much money. So she's like, I'm going to the casino. She takes a bus bus trip into the casino. She's like, this is going to be my day. And it starts off that way. As soon as she gets to the casino, she starts playing games. And she's just winning, left and right. It doesn't matter what game she plays, roulette, craps, doesn't matter. She's just winning, nonstop. Uh, and it seems like she, of course, doesn't know when to stop. She's just like, this is my day. It's never going to run out, except that it does. And then on the way back, she ends up getting a the old cinematic duffel bag full of money. And... Uh, Guess what? Ends up starting a gang war because she she takes this uh, duffel bag of money, Mm. and then everyone gets drawn in. People that shouldn't get drawn in, like her grandson, he gets involved, and he gets kidnapped, and I mean, all sorts of stuff going on here. So it's very familiar in terms of you know any narrative that you've seen that involves a duffel bag of money that doesn't belong to someone, but they take it. And, of course, it actually should be going to some sort of criminal. And then, you know, just everything that happens when you make that decision, it's pretty much uh, how you would imagine it to play out, like all those other movies have, really. Got it. But, the, you know, the thing that makes this a little bit distinctive is location and cast. And it is fairly light throughout. You know, it's not super serious. It's got a fun soundtrack, you know. It's n- it's not a bad time. It's also just not you know a very distinctive movie. But if you're looking for you know a light enjoyable time, I think Lucky Grandma will hit that for you.
0: All right, there you have it. The only other one that I'll mention is Space Sweepers. This is directed by uh, Joe Sung Hee. This came out on Netflix this weekend. It's a uh, it's a South Korean sci-fi movie, big big sci-fi movie here. Really good effects work in it. Most of it takes place in space, and it's definitely got a little bit of a like a Firefly kind of vibe to it. Even maybe some Cowboy Bebop in there, where you have these um this this scrappy ragtag group of uh they're like sort of um junk collectors so like they they go out and they find like abandoned shit in space and gather it up and and Mm -hmm. get paid because in the future this takes place in 2092 space is just littered with garbage and it's very dangerous obviously to have that garbage floating around so this this team they go around and they they pick up all this garbage and uh you know, scavenge what they can out of the ships and then take it in and, and get paid to turn in these, like, junk, you know, piles of junk. And what yeah. happens is they end up going out and retrieving this, this ship, and guess what? There's a little girl on board. And no. it ter- turns out that this little girl is very, very special. She's a very special little girl, and there's a lot of people looking for this little girl. She's worth a lot of money. And so they have to decide if they're going to turn her in, make a bunch of money, who they're going to turn her into. There's all these different like factions that are trying to get the girl. And then really what's going on? Like, why are they going after this girl? So I definitely recommend it. Uh, again, I, I really liked the effects work, the world building, and this is quite good. It's, it's light. It's, it's got almost a kind of guardians of the galaxy vibe to it where, Everything is kind of fun and, and upbeat. The action scenes are really good. There's like some, some uh, like shootouts, like space, spacecraft shootouts. And it's, it, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Again, it's called Space Sweepers. And uh, it's on Netflix. So check it out on there. Okay. Okay, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. VOD. What do we got coming out on VOD? Yeah, hit me. Tasmanian Devil. This is not what the title suggests. This is actually about a, a guy who relocates to the United States from Nigeria. Finds himself okay. simultaneously balancing the culture shock of immigration with the growing pains of being a college freshman. All right. We have Sa- Sacrifice. This is a, a horror film. Featuring Barbara Crampton. Dream well.
2: Hmm. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a feeling you won't. No. Uh, We have Heavy coming out. Not sure what this is about. It's a romantic crime thriller. There you go. Is Is it just me or
1: movie titles just getting more and more bland? Yeah, I mean, when you think about, like, yeah, like, like, I can't look half of
0: these things up. I know, because, because there's, there's already, like, 30. Yeah, I mean, when you look at movies of the 70s, they were all very distinct. Not all, but, I mean, largely. Like, you you knew when a, when a movie title has, like, 10 words in it.
1: Yeah, when it's a complete sentence, you're like, that was made in the 70s. Yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, we have Happy Times. This is, uh, looks like some kind of horror comedy. Yeah,
1: let me see if I can look up
0: happy times. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Uh, We have private chat. Uh, This is one that we covered last year during Fantasia Festival. Isn't it pronounced PVT chat? PVT chat. PVT chat. Uh, We don't recommend that one. Song for Mm -hmm. Our People is coming out also on the 9th. Uh, This is a documentary about a group of activist musicians, and artists who come together to create a powerful new anthem to honor their ancestors and celebrate black lives. We have nothing else. This is, uh, I'm not sure what this is. Is it an action movie? Two strangers find themselves trapped in a room and stuck in a time loop with no recollection of how they got there and soon Uh discover the world that they know that they knew is gone. No. This mind bending tale from writer director Timoth Conrad is in the tradition of Tenet Inception and Primer. Something tells me. Well, I shouldn't Dude. say it. I'm not going to judge it without saying it.
2: Yeah.
0: But I just like the tradition of Tenet. Yeah. The like, should, Tenet's been around. The the tradition, the tradition of Tenet. It's the happened. movie that came out last year. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, on the 11th, we have Red Dot. This is on Netflix. It's a Swedish action thriller set in the Swedish mountains. Mm. It's about a couple who head off to rekindle their relationship, but uh, after they end up. What is this? Uh, They end up being hunted by some, some people in the woods, I guess. All right. On the 11th, we have. The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. This is on Amazon Prime. Also on the 12th, we have Young Hearts. And it's uh, some kind of romantic... I don't know if it's a comedy. It might be just a romance movie. We have lapsis.
2: Ah. Noah Hutton.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that this got picked ah. up and ah. is is coming out. I believe it's Me a too. Film, film movement that's putting this out. Highly recommend I'm- Highly recommend lapses.
1: Definitely, I agree with
0: that. I just want to go back to the
1: map of tiny perfect things. Also, a time warp loop.
0: Oh yeah, movie. it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when will that die? Never. never. Absolutely never. We have Cowboys coming out, starring Steve Zahn. Um, we have Cowboys. Yeah, Cowboys. It's about uh, Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn coming back. It's about a troubled but well-intentioned father who's recently separated from his wife and uh, uh, I guess his wife is refusing to let their trans son live his authentic self. Mm. Paradise Cove comes out. This is a thriller of sorts it looks like. Mina Suvari's in there. Me, you madness. Me, you madness. What? What? me you madness comes out there's no commas it's just me you madness so it's just you gotta say it all in one stream me? here me you madness it's not me comma you comma madness it's me you madness looks like a dark comedy not probably not gonna be worth a look we have hopeless romantic this is uh obviously a romantic comedy About I don't know it's kind of like a Sex in the City ripoff, really. We have Meltdown. That's a documentary about... I think... I think, uh... Glacial Melt. Oh, okay. We have Happy Cleaners. Uh, this is about a... A family who... Have a cleaning business, and... They're... they're like, they lose it, and it's about how they deal with it. Okay. Uh... I blame society. This is a horror comedy about one of these. Like it's about a woman who is like kind of social media obsessed and decides to like kill people. I don't know. It's, it's not worth too many of these. Mm-hmm. And I believe that is it. That's a lot, a lot coming out. Uh, not a whole lot worth a look in my opinion, but Lapsus is really the only one that I would I definitely recommend. On Blu-ray this week, we have the Parallax View from 1974 uh, starring Warren Beatty. We have Elysium coming out on 4K. Didn't like that one. We have Freaky coming out on Blu-ray. Definitely recommend that. Town from 2005 coming ah. out. So it looks like Paramount is releasing a bunch of their like romance movies, I guess, for, for Valentine's Day. So... Love Story from 1970 is also coming out. There's probably some other ones in here that I don't see. Uh, My Bloody Valentine from 1981 is coming out. That's going to be a remastered edition. Definitely recommend that if you haven't seen that yet. Taurus Trap from 1979. This is the uncut version coming out on Blu-ray. Nice. Recommend that. Greenland starring uh, Gerard Butler. That's the disaster movie. That's coming out. Last time I talked to my dad, he's like, he's like, I spent $20 to see Greenland on VOD. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not surprised. My dad just, he loves disaster movies so much. He's like, it was bad. <laughs> $20. Oh, the poor guy. Uh, we have Jazz on a Summer's Day from 1959. A Tale of Two Cities from 1935. The Suspect from 1944. Wings of the Hawk 3D from 1953. Ooh, Sputnik nice. from last year. I liked Sputnik. hmm Sputnik was pretty good. Beach Babes from Beyond from 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Little Prince. This is the 2015 one, which I liked a lot. I thought that was really extremely underrated. I don't know why that didn't get more... That didn't get talked about very much. Uh... Naked Girl Murdered in the Park from 1972. I was just going to say that's a 70s movie. Yeah. In that uh, title, that's, that's a full sentence. I mean, not, not, on, non, not, only so, the, not only is it very apparent that it's a 70s movie, but it's most certainly a Giallo, too. You can, yeah. you can bet, your, bet your bottom dollar that's a Giallo. And I just confirmed that it is a Giallo. Of course. Uh, the Hills Run Red from 1967. Devil Times Five from 1974. Devil say, times it, five? Yeah, Devil Times Five. Like, you know that that's, that's a great title. The movie might be shit, but the same with The Hills Run Red. Like, that, these, are, these are good titles. Uh, Madame Claude from 1977. Uh, Man of the East from 1972. Zoom Up Murder Site from 1979. Zoom Up Murder Site. Okay. Uh, Blue Monkey from 1987. Didn't we just mention this one? We we did just mention this one a couple yeah. weeks ago. We sure did. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, the El Dulce tapes from... Well, this was released last year, but uh, this is... Arrow's putting this out. It's, uh, it's like a, a sort of a documentary about this uh, guy who just followed around the lead singer of the the band the mentors
2: okay
0: so it's sort of a rock doc i guess um <laughs> the the treasure of Dra- of dracula the sexy vampire version okay uh 13 hours the secret soldier soldiers of benghazi the devil's express panic beasts Sorry. Pan- panic Beats.
1: Panic Beats. Oh. You, what you said first sounds like a better movie.
0: Well, you know, I said beasts, but when you look at the cover, there's like a, a snake with a crazy head, and then like, there's clearly some beasts behind it. So, and the and the synopsis, this is from 1983, synopsis says, the spirit of a deceased knight returns every 100 years to clean a house by graphically murdering the women who are making the life of his descendants unbearable.
1: <laughs> uh, hold on. And I
0: am adding this to my watch yep, list I'm as we speak.
1: Let's pause for a minute. <laughs> sounds
0: <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, Wait, it's 1983. It's also, yeah, it looks like it's also known, known as heartbeat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: this is already in my watch list, apparently. <laughs> fantastic
0: uh we have the right one from the just earlier this year a couple weeks ago actually uh, we have uh-huh. a re- review for that up on the site's romantic comedy um happy times necropath wetware before during after song of our people deep in vogue honor killing That's a trauma release and looks of it uh, sex terrorists on wheels. Okay, yeah. and uh, that's about it. What about Criterion's? Uh, you already mentioned it. The Parallax View. Oh, I didn't know that was a Criterion. Yeah, 1974. The Parallax
1: View. Oh,
0: I see that. I see that here. I was just looking at the cover and I didn't see the little little C logo. Yeah.
1: There. Plus that cover is something.
0: Yeah, I don't hate it.
2: I like it oh, Sorry. it's I you I mean yeah
0: if you're into like the minimalist covers anyway I
1: don't know it's just crazy to think that someone got paid good money to do that
0: <laughs> alright Well, I think that's going to do it for this week thank you so much for listening you can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin if a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be extremely helpful. For Kevin Rickstraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.